Let's be honest. How many times have we been told to improve retail in our pharmacies and that it's a large untapped opportunity? But why is it that we haven't significantly improved? We've seen our products going to supermarkets, heavily discounted, but what have we done to respond? Well, in this episode, we've called in the doctor. That's right, the retail doctor, Brian Walker. And he goes through what's working both in Australia and overseas in all retail areas and what you can do in your pharmacy to improve. Welcome to the Transformation Show, where successful pharmacy owners and technology partners help you to build a better 21st century pharmacy by embracing technology. Here is your host, Robert Starr. G'day everyone and welcome back to Transformation, the only dedicated podcast in the world where pharmacy and technology collide to bring you, the motivated pharmacy owner, all that you need to build your smarter, more successful 21st century business before it's too late. My name's Robert Starr, your host and guide on this fantastic journey of ours. And we're into our second year, absolutely loving it, episode 53. Well, I wasn't kidding. Sometimes we do need to call in the doctor to help us out, and there's no exception in this week's episode. We've got the retail doctor, Brian Walker, coming up very, very shortly, and it's a fascinating chat because we talk about so many aspects, so many different retailers that are doing really well and are very customer-centric, and of course, we're very patient-centric. And that leads into one of the other segments we're going to have today, which is a fantastic listener question from David Flack. And I'll give you a little plug there, David. He's the National Business Development Manager of Know-It-All Loyalty Systems. And I might even put the link in the show notes. But he sent through a fantastic question, recorded it, and we're going to have a great discussion about what do you call the people that come to your pharmacy? Do you call them customers or do you call them patients? And can you call them both in different contexts? It's a great debate. I know you're going to love that. But before we get stuck in with that, how's your week been? Is it starting to pick up? Is it getting busier? Have you started planning perhaps your flu vaccination clinic or have you perhaps already organized it as well? Are you getting ready to head up to APP on the Gold Coast? I know I am and I'm really looking forward to it. It's such a great opportunity for us to get away from the pharmacy and really have a good think about our businesses. And that's why I wanted to share with you my five tips that I think will give you a better conference, a better experience and hopefully take up some really big momentum when you get back after APP as well. Now, some of you might be thinking, he's going to talk about these five prescriptions for a stress-free holiday again. Well, I'm not. (laughs) I'm not. It's something that you can utilize. It's very useful, and a lot of people have taken some great advantage tips out of it. And where I go with that is that when you're on conference, you are sort of on holiday. You're away from the pharmacy. And you still have your business running while you're up there as well. So as I mentioned in last week's episode, grab them if you haven't already. It'll give you some great tips and keep you connected if you really need to be. But I'll get into the top five tips. So the first one is have a paperless conference. Now, I spoke about that in episode two last year, and I'll pop the link in the show notes again. Now, why I suggest that is not to show off all of the latest gadgetry and technology that you may have in your pocket and smartphone, but because if you want to do something with it after APP, the last thing you want coming back from APP is a big 
conference bag of brochures that you need to sort through forever and a day to work out what you're going to do with them because you literally just grabbed everything that people got given to you. And it means it's not really shareable as well because you've only got one brochure and one um, booklet that you might have picked up. So by going paperless and requesting the the stand vendors to send you a soft copy on email. Um, You also get their email address as well, so you can follow up with them after the conference. But also, all that material is very shareable with your team. And as I went through in episode two, there's some great tools like Evernote. And even if you don't want to do any scanning or taking photos with your phone to put it in Evernote, you can use a service like Shoebox, where you can literally stuff your whole conference bag into an envelope and you're done, it'll be back to you in about three days' time, and you can share it out with your team. Number two is before you go to APP, and I do say this before, it might even be on the plane ride over. Assess what you and your business needs to gain from APP, and actually have a chat with your team. Assuming that they're not all coming with you to APP, which some pharmacies do, and that's absolutely brilliant if you can do it, But if you can't, involve your team beforehand. Grab your schedule, grab the itinerary, and talk about what kind of um, events are going on at APP. What content? What are the exhibitions? What are the different themes? And do a bit of a a SWOT analysis. And when I talk about SWOT, that's where you assess your strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And even if you'd like to revisit the business planning series we went through in January, and I'll put a link in the show notes as well, it'll flesh out some great opportunities from grabbing some feedback at the very least from your team, perhaps from your partners, and also from your patients as well. And you could take that with you to APP so that you can be focused in what you and your business want to get out of it. Number three is plan your time and schedule different chats with people as well. It can be very overwhelming to try and look particularly at the exhibition hall and work out how you're going to find your way through the maze and what you're going to focus your time on. It's very easy to get distracted by uh, all the different events that are going on, different contests, competitions, giveaways, all that's fun as we'll get to. But at the same time, if you want to maximize your time at APP and make it really worthwhile so that you can capture some great things to bring back in your business, you got a plan. And also, contact any of the suppliers as well and schedule a chat with them uh, if you can do it. And that way, you don't have to fight amongst the crowd and interrupt people to have a chat if you really need to as well. The fourth one is plan an implementation day when you return. Now, what I mean by that is... The day you get back, if you can afford it, don't go into the pharmacy if you can do it. Take a moment to even go to a cafe near the pharmacy, grab your senior management if you can do it as well, and sit down and talk about all the strategies that you've seen at APP because you might grab a really big idea when you're floating around the the conference hall and even one uh, one of the lectures as well. And you might think, I'm really going to go with that, but don't. Ask at least three team members what they think about it. And if they all agree with you, there's probably a good chance that it's a great idea for your business. But too often, I see pharmacy owners come to the conference, get really excited. They might even buy something that they don't really need in their business because it was so attractive. And then they come back and the team's like, oh no, what's he bought this time? Oh, so I'm going to get lumped with all of that. 
It's really important you get your team involved. So don't make any big decisions without running it past your team and have that implementation day when you get back and how you're going to plan any changes that you've picked up at APP and strategies that how you're going to mold that into your business. And the last one, probably the most important to be perfectly honest, is have some fun. It's all fun and it's all great to go up there and educate yourself, grab your CPD points, see what new opportunities are available, but you need to have fun. And quite often, the best learning that you might find is actually whilst having a beer with colleagues at different events. And they can be networking functions that a lot of suppliers put together and you can have a chat with them informally rather than around a table looking at numbers and figures. And you can also have fun with me. I'm going to have our transformation meetup and we can have a beer and we can talk about anything you like. We don't even need to talk about technology if you like. Just love to meet you and have a chat. So I hope those five things help you have a better conference. There's going to be some more things coming from me next week. We've got our special anniversary show coming out next week. So you're going to look forward to having that. And we'll also be broadcasting on the Friday um, after a full day at APP on the Thursday. So if you're not heading to APP, I'll bring you up to speed with what I've seen on the Thursday next week. I've got a big treat for you right now. Our first live question. David Flack, one of our listeners, has posted a question. I hope you enjoy it. Hello, Rob. Um, it's David Flack. We, um, we have talked about this before. Um, I just wanted to raise the issue and have you perhaps float um, the question I was uh, discussing with you earlier. And that was uh, whether we should be using the descriptor patient uh, or whether we should use some other sort of descriptor for the customer or client or guest. Or if you can recall, we looked at a number of parallels and the reason I raise it is because I don't regard myself as a patient when I go into a pharmacy. Um, I'm um, relatively well, and I guess the same thing could be said for a large proportion of the customers uh, or people, sorry, and <laughs> generic term, that go into a pharmacy. They will not necessarily be unwell or a patient. So um, I think when you use the word patient, you might be assuming that the, that the person concerned is unwell when in fact they may not be unwell and that may well, that may well put them off. Thank you so much, David, for sending that in. And for Keen Transformation Tribe listeners, you may remember that David's asked many questions on this show already in its one year and probably best known for taking the Transformation Show on his daily walk. So thank you, David. A really big topic, and it's a really big question, and thank you for recording this as well. Um, I know we had a chat about it, but I wanted to extend that to everyone who listens to the show because it's a debate I think everyone should get involved in. And that's really, um, you know, as you said, do we need to call our clients patients? Do we call them customers? And why would we perhaps use both in a different frame? Well, my opinion is, is that we would use patients because I consider a pharmacy a professional healthcare environment. And every professional healthcare environment I've encountered has always referred to its clients as patients. Now, I do agree that can have a sick connotation to it, a hospital patient, a doctor patient, 
But as we're finding now, as we get into this wellness movement, more people are visiting health practitioners who aren't patients. So that's a really good question as to what do we call, what do we call these people? We we call them customers, and then there's a debate. Well, do we mention customers? Because I always consider customers as someone very retail focused, and therefore, you know, the other side of our business, which is which is retail, unlike most health professionals, is that you know we're then talking about how much money we're receiving from these customers as opposed to the clients that we have there. So it's a really interesting discussion um, and I'd love to hear from as many of you as to which side of the fence you're on. I think coming from your background, David, and also having that hotel um, that you've got in your family and calling people guests, I certainly think that really works well for hospitality. And when we go to a restaurant, we could either be called a guest or uh, a visitor Um, But I think, you know, as I mentioned to you, I'm a big fan of the Small Business Big Marketing Show and uh, Tim Reid interviewed a former dentist, uh, Paddy Lund, and he transformed his dental practice into something where people were happy to come to. And he stopped calling people patients. He called them guests. Now, I don't feel personally comfortable calling clients to the pharmacy guests, but I dare say we could possibly come up with a better frame for it as it probably does help to change the relationship that we have with our patients. Now I do say patients because that's where I feel most comfortable but you may think differently so thank you so much David for sending it through and I'd love to hear from all of you as to what you think we should be calling our patients. Our interview today is with Brian Walker the retail doctor. He's the CEO at the Retail Doctor Group, where they're all about building business fitness. Brian Walker, welcome to the Transformation Show. Thanks very much, Robert. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, look, the pleasure is mine, Brian. I've long followed your work and often admired, you know, the strategies and hadn't seen them come to fruition. And in some ways, you know, you've led the way with predicting a lot of what's happened in retail in this country and I guess all around the world as well. So our listeners are going to be absolutely spoilt today as, um, you know, hopefully you can share some of the great strategies that you're seeing, not only in pharmacy, but in other industries as well. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Well, let's... Uh... Let's move forward. I look forward to the conversation. Absolutely. So obviously our, our, guests, our guests always have a bit of a story as how they got started. And uh, why did you choose retail? And uh, more so by your tagline so that they can understand it. What do you determine as a fit business? Well, I chose retail. Probably it chose me. I, I started many years ago. And I, I, funnily enough, my first training was in horticulture. And I ended up joining Woolworths and working my way through retail and franchise and even running shopping centers for Westfield and so forth and then but always loved the diversity and and challenge of retail and the immediacy of results and of course we're seeing it change dramatically now and I'll touch on that shortly Um, in terms of you know retail depth and and where it's going it's such a fast-paced change that, uh, you know, let's touch on some of those changes and maybe I'll pick up the, the balance of the answer in doing that. Yeah, no, like absolutely. And certainly there's a change in customer expectation now. There's lots of competition both from online and offline. And that rise of digital has really shifted the landscape. And I guess what are the successful retailers, the ones that are actually growing, not the ones dying off that are doing right now to keep pace? We, we talk about 
this this concept of a customer being able to be in touch with a retail business 24-7 from anywhere in the world, really, if we talk in sort of its broadest level. And so when we look at the classic channels of physical store, online, social media, and all the classic ways that a customer gets in touch with our brands, we see them as being very interconnected. So we no longer really even talk now, Robert, about offline or online or um, so forth. In fact, what we talk about is this idea of a 24-7 brand. But what does that mean? It means that the classic path to purchase, and I'm talking broadly before moving into pharmacies, the classic path to purchase, which says, you know, I see advertisement, I see shop, and, I, and that's how I respond in this linear way, has been absolutely shattered, shattered by these great disruptive forces in retail causing structural change. Technology is the big enabler. 86% of us pre-research um, products that we want to buy using online as a device. Smartphone enablement is up at around 70% and growing. What does this mean? It means that we use technology to understand the retailer and their offer. And they are predominantly huge research tools. The physical store is the jewel in the crown. And we have a business called RDG Insights, which does all our consumer research. We see that 88% of consumers still want to physically touch, uh, have a tactile relationship with the physical store. And that they use the channels around that to research, understand, communicate via social media, interpret, and then still want to be in the store. In the store. And particularly if we look at an environment like pharmacy, which is high advice, high touch, um, high consultation, and a very strong element of you know, emotion and so forth, needs the physical environment remains the strong jewel in the crown. Now, I could keep talking about this, Robert, or I could break to answer more questions, but that's the central broad theme of why pharmacy and why many businesses around the world are changing rapidly. Yeah. So, so to answer your question initially, what is high fitness retail? It's high productivity, high profitability, high customer connection, and high focus on uniqueness of offer. Yeah. And I guess that comes through so, through so many different touch points for our customers and our patients and that uh, they're able to interact in, in many different ways as you touched on, either first interacting on social or web or it may even be still a, a big banner ad on the highway somewhere. And, uh, and I guess the challenge for all of that for any business, and you know, a lot of us in pharmacy are running small businesses, but some do have bigger change and groups as well, is how do you bring all of those customers customer touch points together to, I guess, map that customer journey so that you can really be there when the customer wants you in, either, in any way, shape or form that they would like you to be. If we, if we talk about independent pharmacists, Robert, um, I think a couple of things. We, we all know the great structural changes that are going on within pharmacy and the pressure that independent pharmacists find themselves under. If we took a business, an impressive category killer is one of the trends, like Chemist Warehouse. 
their sales are not much short, about the same number overall nationally as my department stores. And I think that that is a really telling sign for the way retail is shaping up. You get this very strong dominant category killer who do a very good job at what they do, or have done to date. They represent a structural change. We see the supermarkets with their high focus on volume, um, low margin, turnover, capturing as much of the customer sale as they possibly can. Moving in and strongly into supplements, core sort of pharmacy related retail products and clearly making an impression. In fact, to give you an example, we did a, a project not too long ago in the supplement and vitamin market. And we saw that in 2013, 30% of basic supplements were, born, were bought in supermarkets. A, about four months ago, it was 50%. So in other words, they're making inroads as well. Mm. So we're seeing this great sort of, you know, we've talked so far about these macro trends. Yeah, and, and look, certainly as we're seeing in the newer generation of Woolworth stores, they're setting up their healthcare areas uh, exactly. very much like pharmacies, except minus the dispensary right now. And, uh, you know, the, <clears throat> the environment of uh, range of choice and so forth that had always been unique to pharmacy is no longer a point of difference. Um, and obviously that's a strength that uh, Chemist Warehouse use in their everyday life price strategy to yeah. drive customers in but i still believe that you know it, it's not a competitive advantage that any typical pharmacy can take up and you know we often look like as we talk on this show about being more patient or customer centric and yeah. are, are there any great examples that you can see perhaps outside the industry i always love looking at outside you know things like apple and so forth that you know would represent a really customer centric business that are doing well in retail at the moment you know it's interesting there are so many good examples. Apples is a, is a good example. Lorna Jane is another nice example. Um, and look, there, there, are, there are many, and I'll, I'll try and touch on some of those as I speak, but I want to pick up on your words, Robert, because I agree with them. Um, we, we always look to, to focus on what are we unique, what is our unique point of difference? Because whilst I talk about you know, everything that's new and changing, the reality is that the old is new again. So there's more intensity on a unique offer. So any independent business owner, in our eyes, should be able to be able to say, this is my business and we are unique because of this reason. Now that reason could be related to um, compounding or range of products that the supermarkets can't sell. Um, and so... Stepping back from the business as an owner and saying, actually, why would a customer come to us? What are we unique about? How are we building this strength? How are we marketing it? If I use the example of social media, you still have to have something to say on social media. You still have to have a uniqueness. And you have to say to yourself, if I'm running a business, let's call it, 1 million to 3 million turnover, uh, I'm going to invest 20 or 30 hours a week in my marketing and social media and online site. Uh, but what am I going to say about it? What's going to be unique? And then how will I build a following? 
and a uniqueness that compels customers and potential customers to, to bypass competitors and come to me. Historically, we used to be able to rely on location to some degree, but even that's changing. And so the, the first fitness tip we always look at is, how is this business unique? What are its capabilities? What's its marketing message? How will it continue to grow that uniqueness? And how will it use the various channels to build on that point? So if you look at businesses like Apple, you know, everyone on the street could basically say what Apple are about and what their point of difference is. Could they say that about another business in the pharmacy sector? I think probably the only one that would fall into that basket is Chemist Warehouse. It's really the only distinct point of difference that they aim to be the lowest priced deliverer and they, and they deliver on that every single day in every single store. And the majority of pharmacies have probably been accused of being too vanilla and trying to be everything to everyone. So the point of uniqueness is absolutely fundamental. And, you know, we often talk about on this show that we need to go back to the future of what pharmacies looked like in the 1800s when you did didn't have brands, you didn't have manufacturers, and that the pharmacy was known for having a very close listening ear to the community's needs and manufacturing and compounding products to suit those individual customers. And yeah. probably even globally looking at the US of the drugstores having the social media fountain of the soda fountain back in the 1800s where it was a community hub. So it was always more about the message and how that pharmacy could help the community as opposed to just simply being a product destination and very transactional. Yeah, it's a good point, you know, and the word community comes to mind too because you, that's right, historically we'd look at retailers who would build their local community. Well, really that hasn't changed. It is very much about pharmacies building a community and having a message to communicate to that community. And we, another trend that we look at increasingly is the role of the customer getting connected with that business before they even walk into the store. So the, the pre-purchase. Now the pre-purchase typically is around the website. Um, it could be social media. It could be advertising in the classic way. Could be word of mouth and referral, could be database, and remind me to touch on database in a moment. Yeah. And so what we're seeing is pre-research done, as I've touched on, means we need to create a pre-sales compelling environment. Then we bring them into the store. The store is educational, it's informative, it's categorized in a better way, strong category management. It's a bit inspiring. It's a bit unique. You know, I've seen pharmacies who do a really great job on sort of the, the um, I suppose, conception to birth, and that's their thing, and they're experts, and they produce social media commentary on that, nutrition, wellness, um, and they bring their perspective, their, their customers in, you know, prospective mothers in, and then they form the relationship. I've seen it done in compounding. I've seen it done in scheduled products. So we've got the pre-purchase, we've got the in-store experience, which just lifts from being, you know, stack it high, watch it fly stuff, which is just really getting hammered by the likes of the bigger businesses in many cases that we've talked about. Yes. And then they've got the post-purchase. Now, I know as a person who supports his local pharmacy, 
I never hear from the pharmacy that I go to or of the ones I choose to go to. I never get invited to be on a database. I never get a mail out. I don't really know what their point of difference is. I just happen to like the pharmacists. Yeah. Now, it's building this sustainable model of pre-purchase, in-store experience, post-purchase that keeps me in contact on a regular basis. When that's done well, loyalty will follow. Loyalty is not always about discounting. Loyalty in, in pharmacy is about trust, relationship, understanding, and response rate, and being part of the community. So when that's done well, the independent pharmacy is as well assured as any retailer would be. Yeah, and, and certainly when you touch on loyalty and I guess, you know, to touch on your earlier thing about data, um, that's where a lot of our customer data and relationship data gets stored. And, you know, as we're now seeing, that really does need to start to get integrated with our dispense data, our point of sale data to really allow us to understand our patients and our customers a lot better, not just anecdotally from being the front front and centre pharmacy owner that's formed the relationship because, you know, a lot of our great pharmacies have always got one very good pharmacist that really is the house of the CRM system, uh, yeah, whereas a- they really need to be able to systemize so that they can really segment and target the right customers and really understand the biggest challenges going on. So it's a really big challenge. Uh, for them to do that um, and, and how, how have you seen other retailers really be able to do that successfully well I think first of all it's got to be on the table the, the plan has to be on the table so to have a business plan um, which doesn't have to be war and peace just you know a page that basically says here's what we need to achieve in sales margin growth mix of business number of customers average spend items per sale and then having targets and some customer satisfaction score, having that and sharing that with the team, allocating resource and finding the right resource to build the business. So, and, and then, for example, I'm always an advocate of having a retail specialist in the business, having some marketing support, and then building based on some of the KPIs I've just rattled off then, building a business that's about achieving that. So here's one of the other comments I wanted to make today, if I could. Yes. If you took, let's just hypothesize and say we're looking at a pharmacy that turns over a million dollars. And let's say that that store is 200 square meters, okay, for the sake of the discussion. Yep. Yep. And we see, for the mathematically inclined amongst us, that 80% of the business is done through dispensing. We see that that business turns over, let's say, 800000 in dispensing, $200,000 in retail. Let's make the store 200 square metres, Robert, because it's easier. Yes. We see that store does $1,000 a square metre in retail. Its competitors would do $9,000 a square metre in retail. In other words, and when you look at the range of independent pharmacies, that's an extreme example to make the point. But if you look at a business like, you know, uh, a chemist warehouse, for example, I believe from the reports they produce publicly, about 50% of their business is retail, 50% is dispensing. And that's about the ratio for the time being we'd want to move to. So we need to look at our business as a whole. 
and we need to say, well, if we've got 200 square metres in this hypothetical example, uh, we need it to pay its way in retail. And in order to do that, we have to be retailers. We have to create the value that we've touched on in this conversation. We have to have specialised, unique offer. And then we have to have a compelling environment of category management, product sell-through, good ranging, good stories, well-trained sales, frankly, salespeople on the floor who can service and sell, who can build the story, led by a retail uh, person, manager, if you like. And so what we do is we change that ratio to get a much healthier mix between retail and pharmacy. Yeah. Because, it's, because our, if we don't, our retail investment is, is absolutely underutilized, and I've seen many examples of that. And we're too reliant on, on our dispensing, which doesn't fill me with great confidence that the business will weather all storms going forward. Well, as we're seeing right now, and you know, it's, 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 it's a really interesting ratio that the income would be 80-20, yet the space, spatial um, dedication in the store would be the opposite and that the dispensary is probably likely to be 20% or less in floor space. Um, right. But the unhealthy reliance on dispensing has left the industry, as we're seeing now, very open to the threats of what happens when PBS reform comes in. And That's right. as led to a lot a big struggle and you know to be able to you know be at the 50 50 ratio is why you know chemist warehouse offset the risks and the opportunities that they have in having those two different income streams and uh, you know look they get it right but i think you know most pharmacy owners tend to respond to wanting to do more retail thinking that they need more stock they need higher shelves um, and probably you know then think that you know they've got to copy you know who is doing well in retail which is where you know unfortunately they come undone copying chemist warehouse because they're not set up for that model um, but you know there are some great ex there are great examples of experience i know that um, you know, down in uh, Melbourne, um, I've been to the OPSM iHub, and I know you've referenced that in some of your articles yeah. as well, yeah. which is a healthcare environment that looks very different to your standard high street optometrist. And I guess, what what have you forecast that you know that that, that pharmacy should be able to do? And you know, we often look at Apple and admire how their high square sales per square meter um, is the highest in the world. Um, yet their stock is not you know as intense as perhaps you might have otherwise thought? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, two, in the limited time we have today, you know, my mind goes to two things. The examples we've chosen about typically, you know, candidly put the customer and the customer experience at the start of the thinking. So really, you know, we're involved with iHub. It's an example of researching customers, looking at global trends in eye care, uh, looking at global trends in the way consumers are increasingly moving from one size fits all, we want to make it about me. So understanding consumer motivations in the sector, designing formats and experiences that resonate around this idea that um, you know the customer as a singular unit matters most of all and that it aggregates up into customer database. Certainly, that's, that's one key ingredient. The other ingredient is uh, this topic about 
quality of the offer, quality of the uniqueness versus quantity, you're absolutely right. These the independent pharmacies, even under some of the banner groups, really aren't geared to be you know massive discounters. Ultimately, when we look at the relationship between sales to inventory, for example, against position and uniqueness, we always look at what's my margin strategy here. What not just my prime margin, but my finished margin. That is, what am I going to end up with taking to the bank after having, and how can I skillfully avoid discounting? And how can I do it? Well, I do it through uniqueness and range and some of the topics we've talked about. And then I want to know, as a pharmacy owner or any business owner, what is the productivity of my investment? In other words, just as I have money in the bank, hopefully, I want to know what's my investment in my stock, my return, which is classically stock turns, sell-through ratios, my investment on my sales, sales per square meter, um, it's a typical measure, Um, investment return on my people, what's my sales, my items per sale, my average sale, my sales per employee. And I want to have a look at my ratios and see if I'm hitting good benchmarks. See if I'm getting my overall sales in retail up at around the $5,000, $6,000 to $8,000 per square meter. Seeing if I'm selling unique products, if I'm building my database. Doing a lot of the things we've touched on today, Robert. Yeah. And we call that business fitness. And that's really some of the basic sort of things we start to look at in competing in a marketplace that's shifting. Yeah, no, look, absolutely. And, you know, when when pharmacy owners are now looking at how they can maximise the productivity of their retail space, you know, and as you touched on earlier about looking at your pre-purchase, your, your, your experience, and then the post-purchase, you know, that's creating a full and remarkable solution that, you know, people really don't want to go anywhere else because their entire primary healthcare journey has been managed and looked after by their pharmacists. But I guess where most pharmacists are looking at the moment is how do they commercialise that and you know take ourselves away from that transactional relationship that we have with our customers to a point where you know we're taking the data that we're knowing about them, all the knowledge that they're accessing ever-presently on Google and translating that into some great wisdom but building a retail model around it yeah well i think you know much of what you and i've chatted about today is the starting point the 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 very starting point i think is you know almost by way of summary is to um as simple as it sounds take funnily enough a day or two away from the business and reflect on what what are we in this business for what do we want to be great at what are we good at how do we build on that what are we unique What's unique about us? What's our brand? What are the attributes of our brand? How long has our business been around? Who are our customers? What sort of customers do we want to attract more of? What are the needs in the marketplace? If our demographic, for example, has a higher ratio of retirees or a higher ratio of young children, or a higher ratio of you know stressed out executives, or you know and that's all that all can be seen through the databases and, and simple research. Then let's build a model that tailors to that. What resource do I need? Okay, I'm going to put on 20 or 30 hours dedicated marketing. 
social media, classic marketing, having a story to tell, and I'm going to measure the return on that by the increase in sales. Who do I admire in retail? What can I learn? Let, I'm going to go and look at different retailers in all categories. And I'm going to see what they do with shop layout. How do customers walk my pharmacy? Do they just go straight to the dispensing and straight out again? How do I create different customer zones? What effect does lighting have? Are my categories clear? Do I have a clear message about them? Does it resonate and link to my point of difference? What are my staff like? Why don't I run a couple of mystery shoppers and just understand how good the service really is? How often do I have, a, do I have sales targets? Do I have margin targets? Do I communicate that with my team? Um, you know, there all this stuff. So that it, and you know what? It's about, it's about taking the helicopter view initially, building the, the plan, and then going about executing it. Yeah. And, you know, we're always happy to help businesses do this. Um, and today, Robert, I really enjoyed the opportunity just to chat about some of the things that I hope will help some of your listeners. Yeah, no, look, absolutely. And, and look, certainly, you know, there's, I guess, always the doomsdayers that think that, you know, because of the rise of online and digital, that the bricks and mortar businesses will fall by the wayside. But, you know, it's been fantastic to, you know, hear your research that, uh, you know, it's still really pulling back to that jewel in the crown, as you called it, um, to come back to the physical environment. So absolutely fantastic. If I may summarise one point, thank you, Robert, on online... You know, the retail sales nationally and across all categories are around about $290 billion. Online, overall, is about 8 to 9% of sales, depending on who you read. It's somewhere around that mark. We've always said that it was never going to overtake physical store shopping. And in fact, the last six months have seen a maturing of online in many categories, and in some cases not meeting last year's numbers. Now... That's the reality, yet online is an incredibly important channel because it's really the research engine. Now, conversion from online is somewhere around about 2 to 6%. Let's be generous and say 6%. That is 85% of people go online to pre-research, but only somewhere around 2 to 6, 5, 6% physically buy something in most categories. And when you look at most online sale offers, you know, the online websites and so forth we see, and all the offers that come out, they're basically about discounting. Yeah. Pharmacists have historically, you know, an extremely high and well-earned relationship with consumers around trust. That is such an important emotional attribute of a brand. Some retailers spend millions of dollars trying to emulate this. I personally think stacking it high, watching it fly, full of um, stuff in the front of the store that you can't walk through, discounting heavily undermines that position. There are other ways and there are better ways and there are fitter ways. 
Um, and Robert, I hope we've been able to touch on some of those this morning. Yeah, no, look, absolutely. And, you know, as we touched at the beginning, I think our listeners really got a great idea from someone who's seeing it all across many different forms of retail and, uh, you know, certainly right on the cusp of what we need to be looking at right now in 2015 and well beyond. Absolute pleasure having you, Brian. Um, I look forward to following you as I always do and uh, having you back in the not too distant future. Thanks, Robert, and thanks also to all your listeners who are kind enough to join us today. Happy Fit Retailing. Well, there you have it, listeners, the retail doctor and what's coming your way and the biggest opportunities for 2015. Littered and dripping with learnings and opportunities that we can all take advantage of in our business. It was absolutely a pleasure. Learning number one, as we always have our top three. The first one, start with the customer journey. We've got to map it and really understand our place. We always talk about our primary healthcare journey and playing a bigger game in being able to work with our patients before they come and they need us and also following them up afterwards. It's such a big missed opportunity. And as Brian touched on, the pre-purchase of their research and being able to draw them into the store with the offers of services and products that we have that are ideally suited to their conditions but we've got to obviously understand our customers first so that we can build this customer experience that is full and remarkable for their particular areas some great examples like diabetes that we've touched on in the past of how we could interact with that patient all the way through from pre-diabetes right the way through and that could be applied to that framework that Brian gave us and also understanding the data that sits around our loyalty which involves obviously customer numbers and frequency favorite products what's in their basket more often than not so that we can enrich that experience with better and higher value things that these customers always value about ourselves. And it really gives us a deeper understanding than what we can normally create just with having conversations and uh, really understanding them at an individual level rather than at a business level. Number two, know your metrics. Brian gave us a huge list of metrics that we can all be looking at right now. We can always be downloading that data into spreadsheets if our point of sale doesn't allow us to. Or even as we touched on with Mike from Nostra Data a few episodes ago, we're able to actually achieve that by tapping into smart dashboards that are enabling us to be able to do that. So certainly there are some great opportunities in this space, but we need to obviously be able to understand them and be able to dynamically respond to them as well. And number three, turn a weakness into a huge strength and grab the opportunity. And what we're talking about here, as we touched on, and it's not rocket science, that the 80-20 rule applies to our sales in dispensary and retail, in our average pharmacies, but we would dedicate our floor space in the almost polar opposite 20-80 ratio in that our dispensaries 20% of the space and retail 80%. And as Brian touched on, we might be lucky to be sitting on $1,000 per square meter in our retail space, whereas the big boys that are doing very, very well are up at 9,000 per square meter, which is really what we need to do because it gives us a de-risking strategy against PBS reform. And retail doesn't mean stack it high, watch it fly. Whoever's decided that that's how we do retail is long gone now. And it's more about connecting with our customers in building these full and remarkable experiences, which of course include product and having good ranges of that product 
but through understanding our customer journey and also through our database, really understanding what is the right product so that when that customer comes in, they do have all of those solutions available. Because if we do that, then we've got a great opportunity to try and level our businesses out as Chemist Warehouse are doing at a 50%, 50% ratio, which means that we're never susceptible to large changes in any one income stream of our business as we are seeing right now. So plenty to work to do, plenty of things to aim for this year, but we should all be aiming to improve our retail this year. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of Transformation. It was an absolute pleasure to have the retail doctor on and he's more than happy to answer any questions you might have about what you can do with retail in your pharmacy. I've put his email address in the show notes. You can grab it there. Or if you prefer, leave a comment in the show notes. I read and respond to every one of them and Brian will be only too happy to answer that for you as well. We're at APP next week, so if you do see me, come and say good day, and I might hit you up to ask a few questions on the show coming up. So make sure you've got your polished voice ready to go. I know you're going to love it. So have a great week, everyone. I look forward to seeing those of you up on the Gold Coast next week. But if you're not, stay tuned for next week's where I'll bring you up to date and have a great week. Bye for now.